Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome to Compounding World. This is Mike Delisio, and welcome to the newest episode of A Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. And as we've done with prior episodes, we've had a chance to sit down and discuss several topics with members of our clinical services team. And today I'm joined by none other than Sarah Hover. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to, to enjoying this with you guys. Awesome, Sarah. Um, for those of you that do not know you, Sarah has owned a pharmacy for over 10 years and has been part of our clinical services team for over six, or I should say as of six, as of today. So happy anniversary as well. Um, you've been an instrumental part of our team, not only in terms of technical support and formulation assistance with our members, but as well as several speaking engagements, primarily um, on topics like autoimmune disorders. And that's what we're going to kind of discuss today. Um, I'm obviously joined uh, by Sebastian. Sebastian is obviously one of your colleagues, and uh, both being uh, A4M fellows and experts in functional medicine, uh, we're really going to get a chance to discuss autoimmune disorders and the impact of customized medication um, on certain things that are extremely relevant um, to both patients and physicians. I, I know this is probably one of the hottest topics uh, that we get requests of, not only for live events, but also internally through our clinical services team. So this is really going to give us a great chance to educate our listeners out there in terms of what's really happening in the world of uh, functional medicine as it pertains to autoimmune disorders. So Sarah, I I think before we kick things off, um, not only to to discuss your experience and how we got here and your experience with both the A4M fellowship, et cetera, uh, but how has everything changed as it pertains to autoimmune disorders and our approach at, as compounding pharmacies? You know, it's, it's, it's really difficult. It's, it's a huge, um, huge problem that a lot of times goes undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. They don't know what to do or how to treat things. Um, you know, the foundation of, you know, everything that's going on with the kind of the immune system going awry um, is, is getting back to, to some simple basic things. Not everything is re- related to, to compounds or to things that we can compound for our patients, but it's more of, I think, education on a broader scale on how we can help them improve their health. Um, during the autoimmune symposium last, um, last year, you know, we had some compounders say, oh gosh, we want some things that we can make to help these patients. And, and it's like, absolutely. Um, to truly help with autoimmune, there's a few things, but, um, you know, I kind of went through my presentation for that conference. I went through and looked at some of the symptoms that these patients have with the different, um, different disease states and what we can do as compounders to help them manage those symptoms while their prescriber or while you, uh, um, as a pharmacist are helping them with the bigger, the bigger picture, you know, what's going on with their nutrition, their diet, their sleep, um, you know, how, how can we help them with those things? But in the meantime, they have issues with, with some pain or inflammation that we can, um, we can compound some things to help them, you know, with those other problems. So with it, with our understanding of autoimmune, it, it's growing in leaps and bounds, obviously with the technology and our understanding of immunology. Um, but, but again, we're, let's pull it back. 
We are independent pharmacies. We're looking at it as how do we address this? And you've, you've already started touching on it. So I'm going to start. What do you mean nutrition? How do, I'm a pharmacist. How do I get involved in the nutrition piece? As an independent pharmacist, we have a lot more latitude to work with the patient in time. So where do you start with this? You know, in, in my practice, I did quite a few um, consultations. I mean, I did a lot with hormone replacement as well, but um, uh, many times um, those consultations turned into, like I said, getting back to the basics and going over, you know, their diet, helping with meal plans. We are more than educated to help help our patients with, you know, what they need to eat, when they need to eat, how they need to eat, as well as supplementation. Because, you know, even if you have the cleanest diet out there, it's really hard to get all the nutrients that we truly need in today's world. So as, as a pharmacist, you know, patients turn to you, they, they look at you as, as an expert in that, in that area. And if you're not, there's, there's definite different resources um, that you can reach out to, to, to learn more in, in that area. But I, I think it's, it's huge. If we give our body the things that it needs, it's, a, it's amazing how it will respond. Um, you know, I've, I've had all kinds of success stories, like I'm sure you have, Sebastian, of just, you know, even making sure their vitamin D is where it needs to be. I was reading um, an article yesterday about, um, it was about MS, multiple sclerosis, and it was talking about vitamin D levels with that, which, you know, I've, I've known that for a long time, but it went on to say that if they don't have adequate magnesium, then it doesn't activate the D and there's this whole cascade of things that don't happen if there's not adequate magnesium. So, um, in, in a lot of patients are very deficient in magnesium. We, you know, get pushed that we need calcium, 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 but magnesium is super important as well. So, I mean, it's kind of looking at all those different pieces and figuring out how we can put it together for our patients. And so after the nutrition, you said, um, exercise, you said sleep patterns, you then, then we start talking about inflammation, aches, pains, and actual disease progression. So what would be the next piece that you would start addressing in, in that space? Obviously you're, you're the expert. So which way do you go? Um, I definitely think sleep is, um, is the first thing that we need to address. If, um, I heard Jim Laval say in a talk, um, that if we don't, um, if we don't, we have to get the patient sleeping at all cost. So it's so critical that, um, that we get good quality sleep. Um, so that's, that's kind of my next thing is, you know, looking at the nutrition side, looking at nutrients, specific nutrients. And then after we're looking at making sure that they're sleeping, then it goes down to the gut. Um, the gut is kind of the center of our health and making sure that that is functioning properly um, is, is crucial. So how are some of the things, like obviously with the gut, we start addressing those. How do you address those in the independent compounding pharmacy space? Sure. Yeah, they would, um, I mean, first off, you know, talk about frequency of bowel movements, you know, and and what those bowel movements are like. My my kids don't like when I, they hear me having these conversations with members, but <laughs> it's so important and so vital to life that making sure that they, you know, are having two to three movements per day. And if not, then what do we need to do? You know, if, if they don't, aren't, I don't have enough water, if they're dehydrated, if they aren't consuming enough green leafy vegetables, um, if there's something wrong with their thyroid that could be affecting their gut health. Um, and then, then it's moving on to inflammation. So if, if we're consuming foods that we're having some issues with, then there could be more inflammation in their gut and that could lead to, lead to some problems. So, you know, 
I think sometimes people get caught up with, oh my gosh, it's going to be so expensive to, um, to do some of this testing or to, you know, how do I incorporate my patients would never pay for anything like this. Um, I used to do just a simple elimination diet for my patients. And I would just say, just cut out and it's difficult, but cut out every, you know, wheat, dairy, um, just, you know, to keep it simple with just simple um, protein, simple fruits and vegetables and do that for, for a good, you know, six weeks, let's clean everything out and keep everything super simple. And then if you're starting to feel better, then let's add back in some things that maybe that you, um, are really, really missing. Um, I had a nutritionist once say that she would, um, she had a piece of paper and had 10 tacks um, poking through the, the paper and she would put it down on the chair where the, the pokey side was up and she would ask her patient, hey, do you recommend if I sit down right now? And the patient would say, of course not. It's going to hurt. You're going to stick yourself. And so she had it fixed where she could take away nine of the tacks and there was just one tack remaining. She would put it on the chair. She said, well, what about now? Do you, would you recommend that I sit down now? Like, no, it's still going to hurt. So, well, that's what we need to do with these food allergies. If we just cheat a little bit or have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of cheese or a little bit of, you know, gluten or whatever it is where we're trying to eliminate, we're still going to have that same reaction in our body. And that was just always such a great visual for people to realize because it's easy to talk yourself into one little nibble won't hurt. Um, but when we're trying to eliminate and figure out what's causing our problems, what's causing the inflammation, um, it, it, it does matter, but there are some simple things like an, a simple elimination diet that you can do that doesn't have to be costly. It doesn't have to be these elaborate tests. Now, of course, if we're fortunate enough to be able to do that and we have practitioners that can help us um, perform some of those tests, then, you know, gosh, more information is better, but you can start things out simple. That's fantastic because that, that's, that's what people need to know is how to get started and then what are some concrete steps? Um, now, immediately it goes into how do we start addressing some of the pain and inflammation in these patients? Because um, if we can remove the drivers, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to immediately cause the immune system to just turn off and be like, oh, yeah, carry on. You may have to address that pain and inflammation. And you alluded to it. So how do you address that with these patients? Yeah, I mean, certainly topical you know, pain meds are, are great. It's a great way to kind of avoid the whole system, um, topical anti-inflammatories. Um, if they're having some spasming with that, you can you know, put in an anti-spasmodic with an anti-inflammatory, um, which is which is really helpful. Um, but I, I do find that if you can uh, eliminate some of these allergens, it there is a, a marked improvement in, in pain. Um, just from taking away some of the things that our body's adversely reacting to. Um, but the topical preps are, are awesome. I want to take things back a sec for our listeners. Um, since this is a newer topic and things that uh, potentially were not looked at traditionally 10, 15 years ago, but Sarah, um, why do you think there's been a lot more attention put on to the treatment of certain autoimmune disorders from this type of angle. And I'm assuming it's an expansion of knowledge and, and maybe treating things in different ways or looking at root cause. Um, but love to hear your impression and, and what has really challenged you and, and intrigued you to, to learn more as well. You know, I, I think it is knowledge. I think there's, I think number one, the patients are more knowledgeable and searching for answers. Um, you know, I mean, Sometimes it's frustrating that a patient has searched Google for everything, um, but I think that 
information at our fingertips has made it easier for, for patients to drive the force. And, and there are lots of practitioners that are out there looking for other, other answers and, um, and thinking along the same line. My question is always, I want to know the why. Why is this happening? Not, oh, here you're labeled with this disease and here's the drugs to go with it. Well, I will, I've always been that way. Like, well, the why? Why do we have to, you know, go down this path? What, what went wrong? Um, you, if you look at, you know, a rheumatoid arthritis and you look at the numbers that they, that they follow in your blood work, um, many times it's, it's, a, it's a huge number. It's like, oh, well, if it's greater than 40,000, then, oh, you have this disease. Well, what about when it was 10 or 15 or 1,000? Were you heading that direction? Yes. You know, and, you know, but, you know, typical medical prescribers or doctors tend to look at some of these lab work as disease or not disease. And I look at what's optimal, what's healthy. And I think there's just been a growing population of, of prescribers and patients looking for that, looking for what's optimal and ideal. Um, I mean, same thing with type two diabetes. You don't go from normal, you know, glu glucose control to being a diabetic overnight. It's this, this process of losing control that if we can look at the right things, then we can, you know, we can kind of head things off at the pass, but it's, it's education and knowledge. I think that there's so much more research into the field as well. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you saw this paper the other day where they talked about the two different immune cells that now have a dual expression of, of antigens, which is insane. And now we have another piece, right? Like, did you have a chance to look I, at that? And I did. I, you, I saw that on, on your, your post and I pulled it and I was like, oh my gosh. So like Sebastian was saying, it's you know, two expressions and they think for type one di diabetes, which has always been a big question of, you know, why does the body start attacking itself, especially usually at a young age. And they think that this is one of the reasons why is because of the body it, having dual roles and it is just attacking itself. So yes, fascinating, fascinating. And, and I think that that's where we're, we're kind of learning is we now have so much more knowledge and there's that research and now it's twigging and everyone's becoming super aware. And this is why I find this topic so exciting because you've got people like Sarah, who's like, who the why, give me the why. And there's like hundreds of, of smarter people than me who are asking those same questions and they're able to research and then we benefit from from that information and then you've got sarah who goes huh is there a way to prevent it from going any further and that's what that's kind of where we are so right right so yeah it's it's there's it's because it's some of these diseases if you look i mean that it's just awful i mean that the outcomes are awful that you know what they have they, these patients have to live with so certainly if we can you know, help them along the way or help it from progressing. Oh my gosh. It just, you know, that's, that's why, you know, I get up every day and do what I do because I love helping people. So which are the autoimmune disorders that you're really starting to see a majority of your calls or where a majority of patients are kind of falling and, and where our pharmacies can actually intervene, like low hanging fruit, which, which are the first patients you're going to encounter? I, I would say probably multiple sclerosis is, is huge. Um, you know, it, pretty interesting. Um, and this kind of goes back to the vitamin D. 
um, they found that most um, cases of MS are either first happen or first exacerbate or they have an exacerbation of the disease is always in the early spring. And the reason that the reason because of that is that um, people's vitamin D levels drops over, over winter. And so whatever they kind of built up over the summer from being outside over the winter, that's been depleted. And so their immune system's a little more suppressed and it, it, it exacerbates or happens. So um, so I think with between vitamin D and now making sure their magnesium levels are good. Um, and then there's some interesting research on, on biotin, high dose biotin um, having some positive impact um, on, on MS. And I just think there's a lot of things that we can do for, for MS, especially from a compounder standpoint um, that could be helpful. So the presentation of that MS patient in your pharmacy looks like that's kind of how do we identify them without necessarily putting a big banner and being like, do you have MS? We want to know. Well, the, um, most of the time I've, I've had patients when they were first diagnosed, um, they come in and talk to me because they're so freaked out that they don't want to be in a wheelchair. They, you know, they, they only see, you know, the end result and that's not where they want to head. So I've had patients come in right when they were diagnosed and, um, and ask for help. Um, I've had, um, this was kind of interesting. I had a patient, a, fr a patient that was wound up being my patient, but she, her, her friend was my patient first and we were doing hormone replacement for her. And, um, I didn't see her. We, we just, um, communicated over the phone and I mailed stuff to her because she wasn't ambulatory and probably about three or four months after she had been using hormone replacement, she called me and she said, Hey, I just, I just have to tell you that my grip is so much stronger now that I've been on these hormones. And this was before we, it, you know, they since studied or studied the high dose estriol orally for MS. This was way prior to that. And, um, so she, you know, just kind of shared with me that, that I, cause I, I knew she was not very ambulatory, but I didn't realize how, what an extent she was um, wheelchair bound, but that made a huge impact in her, her daily life of having more grip to be able to do things more for herself. Um, so most of the time it was patients talking to me about it, um, is kind of how I approached the MS, but, um, but you know, there's, there's other, there's doctors that you can talk to. There's, you know, that you can go out and market yourself to. And then what, after the MS patient population, are, is there another group? Because I, I, I kind of almost think of the GI sort of family um, autoimmune disorders, like you can start yeah, to see. So your celiac patients. Um, and I, you know, I've done a lot with, with thyroid and there's a lot that kind of goes hand in hand between um, celiacs and, and thyroid disorders. Um, so yes, definitely go talking to your GI doctors about their celiac patients, you know, they think, Oh, just, you know, no, no wheat, no gluten. Um, but there's, there's more that they can do for that. And, and, you know, you, you and I haven't even talked about naltrexone, but, um, <laughs> that one I was going to leave to you. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, you know, that's a huge, huge component of what we can do for these autoimmune disorders, or even if we're thinking there might be some, um, an autoimmune related issue going on, um, that's definitely something I recommend to, to members to to try with the patients. Now, forgive me. I think that there's close to 120 autoimmune disorders that are currently recognized, and 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 it's kind of growing. Like, mm -hmm. are, are you, you know, celiac, uh, Hashimoto's, um, 
what is it, lupus? That one, that one always, like lupus is a huge one. I can't believe how many patients we see with lupus coming through. Um, we're starting to see, and I, I don't know how it's being related, but arthritis has got this huge immunological component. Like we, we, there's just so much. So as we're learning, we're growing and, and developing more tools in our arsenal. So we already talked about the naltrexone piece and you know, that's an easy, easy discussion. We should probably have a round table with a couple of other people. Um, what other interventions would you make for your, some of your autoimmune patients with respect to medication management specifically that we can look at as a compounding option? So as far as a compounding option, you know, I think if, um, you know, depending on the, like I said, the symptoms that they're having, how can we, we manage some of their symptoms? If they have, you know, excess salivation, could we help with, help with that? Um, or um, if it's like a Sjogren's where they have a dry mouth or dry eyes, there's things that we can compound um, for those instances, you know, for the, for the thyroid. I mean, we can custom blend, you know, the appropriate T4, T3 amount that they need. Um, I personally don't like to give a porcine thyroid when there's an autoimmune um, going on. I, I really do think that, you know, the, the porcine gland is so similar to ours that I just can see that attacking more. Um, so I, I like to go with a pure T4, T3. And um, if they've got gut issues, then it might need to be immediate release so they don't have to worry about breaking that down. So I think um, that that's, that's crucial. So in some cases, we're looking at specific symptomology, but then in other cases, we might even be t- treating some of the negative outcomes of those autoimmune disorders. Right. Absolutely. But I really think the biggest impact that we have, yes, I think we can kind of see the symptoms or the the problems that they're having and, and you know, come, come up with a solution to help with those problems because that's what we do. We're problem solvers. But um, I, I really think the bigger picture and the bigger impact you can have is is having that big picture um, and talking to those patients about the, the simple things that we talked about to make sure that um, we can maybe prevent some of these things from going on if we get back to the basics of, of nutrition and sleep and gut health and that sort of thing. Yeah, it, I think the siloing of all of our uh, specialists tend to lead to siloing of treatment, whereas as the patient comes to us, if we can capture them, we can say, ooh, maybe there's more going on than just that simple simple piece that, well, obviously complex because it's an autoimmune disorder, but simple um, stream of thinking. Right, right. Yeah, that's, I tell my patients many times, you know, there's immunologists and, and, you know, hematologists, and, you know, everyone has their own little specialty, but we need someone that looks at all of you. Um, and then I always reiterate, well, yeah, I just recently had my neighbor come in and show me, you know, I was talking about her labs and she said, um, well, my doctor didn't say anything about it. And her husband, who is a doctor, she says, he didn't say anything about it. And I said, well, I tend to look at things as optimal. You know, they were looking for a disease. Yes, there's no disease, but we want to always find those, those optimal levels so that you can maybe prevent something tragic from happening. So you've been to A4M a lot. You've been speaking now. Um, I know that there's events coming up and you're going to be on the schedule. So if we see Sarah on the schedule and you want to have more time with Sarah talking about autoimmune disorders, obviously jump in and, and connect with her. But you're going to these events. Where where do you see this going with respect to functional medicine and where do you see sort of um, 
our practice evolving as well? Do you see a, a I, I'm curious, what are, what are your thoughts on the evolution of it coming forward? You know, I, I see us playing a bigger role, you know, as, as, as compounding pharmacists um, because of the, the tools in our toolkit and the knowledge and the education that we have access to, to continue to learn and grow in this field. There's a, there's a huge need. I mean, there's patients that are, you know, being told that, oh, everything's fine or, or given this, oh, where this, this disease, and this is what you have for the rest of your life. I think we can play such a crucial role in that. And I, and I think it's challenging and I think it's interesting. And, and like we said earlier about just the, you know, the people that are way smarter than us that are figuring things out, you know, as those changes are, are happening and reading those articles and knowing, oh my gosh, this is what we can do to help our patients. I see our, our members and what I see at our education events is this thirst for knowledge and wanting to know more because you are having more patients. You know, these members are probably having these patients walk in their store and what do you do? How do you, how do you help them? So that knowledge that desire for knowledge is, is there and it's, it's a grow, you know, growing, evolving process. I think that it's, it's an incredible opportunity for our members who are already getting a pretty unique patient population coming through the door. And once they're seen as problem solvers, they're still going to start picking up some of these other ones. And if they have a tough question and they're like, uh, I've never heard of this disease or I've got, they've got a patient who's got this autoimmune disorder, where do they go from there with respect to to thoughts like what what would you suggest if you had someone present like how do you how do you handle those phone calls to you as a clinical well, consultant first time first thing i i had i had one the other day and i and I'm sorry i don't remember the name of the disease but it was where they had like hypermobility in their joints and had stretchy skin and Anyway, um, I apologize for that, but it, um, so many times something has been given a label or a name and you don't know what it is. So it, I, first thing that I do is I go and I see what they, you know, what is out there? How do they make that diagnosis? What kind of, kind of sequelae or what goes along with that disease that, um, just didn't start figuring out, okay, so then what can we do for them? Um, you know, of course, all the basics, as like like I've mentioned, um, and always low dose naltrexone. What can we do for that? But this particular instance, um, they, it was there was a lot of pain, a lot of joint pain. So I said, well, we we've just got to get them some, you know, a ketoprofen, you know, or some sort of anti-inflammatory on board to help them with the pain while we're working on the other other things. You know, sometimes there's limitations. You you know, you have a patient that's in a lot of pain, but they have or GI health, or they have, you know, they can't take anything orally. So topical is, you know, is a, a lifesaver for them. Um, you know, I always like to also, you know, look outside of just the traditional and, um, you know, look at a CMO or something like that if they're, you know, for, for joint um, pain. But yeah, so it's first kind of understanding what what is already known about the disease, um, you know, and sometimes, sometimes it's frustrating because it's, you know, they diagnose it because it doesn't fit these other criteria. So it's, it's trying to, to learn what you can and then um, and then go from there. And, you know, when you're busy in your store and you've got, you know, the phone ringing and five people asking you, the, you know, different things at the same time, you know, I, I, I feel like that's, that's you know, the plus of, of our, our members is having us on board. Um, we're just, you know, 
someone that you can reach out to and leave a question and we can we can do some of that research and we're not pulled five different directions so we can kind of focus in and hone in and and then um, talk to you talk to the member and you know can we bounce ideas off of each other on what we should do next but um, yeah so researching it researching so I've got it I've, I, this is a weird question do you have another one that's memorable that you did all the interventions and then you've seen the patient and you've had the feedback where the patient has had that change? Like, do you have anyone in particular that you can think that's memorable that you're just like, oh man, this, this was like, we're all walking on the, on, on air after. The first time I really um, understood what was going on with food allergies in the gut, I had a patient, um, young woman, probably mid thirties. And, um, she was, she was, she was diagnosed with, with irritable bowel and she was losing weight because she was in sales and anything that she her from her perspective, anything that she ate would cause her diarrhea. And so since she was in her car and having to go out and see clients, she was afraid to eat because of what, what may happen. So her doctor's suggestion was Valium because that's exactly what was wrong with her, right? <laughs> um, so she comes to me saying, Sarah, I, I, can't, I can't take this. I don't know. And um, so th- she was the first that I did the um, elimination diet for. And she, it, it about killed her to, you know, eliminate everything. But once she did, she was like, okay, wow, this is, this is so much better. Well, then when she started adding things back in, she realized that it was dairy. Dairy was, was her trigger. And, um, as sad as she was that that's what it was, I, you know, I kind of reemphasized to her. I'm like, well, now you have control over it. Like, you know, you know, what's, what's going on, but that was such a great feeling to, you know, to kind of journey with her and knowing where she had come from and the information or misinformation she was given, um, that, she wasn't, she didn't want to accept that. She didn't want to accept that her lot was to take Valium because she was just anxious. Um, and, and I agreed with her and we worked through it and it was probably a good, you know, three or four month journey that we worked together. And it was, it was just so rewarding. That's awesome. That's so, that is, that's, that's the difference that I think our, our independent compounding pharmacies can be involved in. Sarah, thank you so much. That's an incredible share. So, for those of you who um, do have more questions, Sarah is part of our clinical consulting team. You can reach out if you have more questions specifically about autoimmune disorders. But I just want to take this moment and say thank you so very much for joining us. You are an incredible asset to our team. And I, I enjoy you personally because you always have great stories. And uh, it's, it's great having you be part of our team. Our, our entire team is incredible. And we're, we're, we're certainly lucky to have you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm definitely um, in in love what I'm doing. I love working with you too, Sebastian. So you're great. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an exceptional podcast. Looking forward to hearing more from you at any event when we're talking about autoimmune uh, disorders. And thank you again, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's it's always a pleasure and happy to happy to share my my thoughts. So thank you for having me. Thanks, Sarah. It's been great to uh, feature another member of our clinical services team to the podcast. Um, You're a great wealth of resources, and we definitely appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Thank you to all of our listeners out there. And just a quick reminder to please follow and subscribe on either Stitcher podcast, 
on iTunes as well as Spotify so you never miss an episode. And just a quick reminder to please follow on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter so you stay up to date with all PCCA information. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning into this episode and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.